Center for Terrorism and Security Studies at UMass Law. Each month we present the latest in a series of five-minute briefs from the research we're conducting on issues related to terrorism and security studies. My name is John Horrigan and I'm the director of CTSS. In today's podcast, I'd like to give you an introduction to the topic of disengagement from terrorism. I think it's fair to say that interest in this subject has been phenomenal in recent years. It's relevant for thinking about where CVE or countering violent extremism efforts ought to be directed or shaped in the future, but also as the controversy surrounding the management of detainees at Guantanamo Bay resurfaces time and time again, attention has recently once more turned to whether the so-called de-radicalization programs, in this case a proposed new venture in Yemen, really offers an effective way of reducing the risk of re-engagement in terrorism or recidivism. One of the main challenges here, of course, is that uh, de-radicalization programs continue to be shrouded in mystery, and as a result, much, but not all, of the commentary about them is actually quite superficial. Nobody really knows if they work, let alone how to evaluate them, And if they are effective in reducing recidivism, why and how precisely that effect is achieved isn't quite so clear. Now, my basic argument here has been that de-radicalization programs, or whatever we choose to call them, are doomed to fail unless those who create, run, and evaluate these programs first understand what it means to disengage from terrorism. I'll say a lot more about de-radicalization programs in a later podcast dedicated to to looking very, very closely at these programs, but what I really want to focus on today is disengagement. Now, the fact that I make a distinction between disengagement and de-radicalization is, I suppose, in one way, it's an attempt to acknowledge that when people walk away from terrorism, not everyone has the same reasons for exiting nor do they necessarily face the same kinds of consequences when they leave. In conducting some early research for a 2009 book, Walking Away from Terrorism, I realized that people can voluntarily leave terrorism while at the same time maintaining and adhering to the radical views that either brought them into terrorism in the first place or were forged or acquired through the time they spent in the group. In other words, you can disengage, but not necessarily de-radicalize. Some are repentant for their actions, others aren't. Now, here's here's an important issue. Um, The basic unifying logic of many, not all, but many of the de-radicalization programs is that those radical views have to be addressed to really be sure that there's a minimal chance of returning to the fight. Or, put another way, We change the way they think for us to be sure that their behavior also changes. Now, as I'll explain later, I actually disagree with this logic. And and though the evidence is pretty minimal thus far, I actually maintain that the risk of terrorist recidivism has surprisingly little to do with whether or not the person is quote-unquote de-radicalized. As I say, more on this later. I first became interested in the topic of disengagement only when former terrorists, uh, to whom I asked questions about their involvement, really themselves wanted to talk more about how disillusioned they had become. The reason? Well, often it just stemmed from boredom, a sense that the group was going nowhere, that it was full of personal rivalries, competition and jealousy. In other words, far from the glamour of what being a terrorist is, at least privately, expected to be. 
Some terrorists leave because they want to, others because they have to. We know that. Some have to leave, for example, because of imprisonment. We might think of prison as a kind of uh, involuntary disengagement. But interestingly, many of those who are imprisoned tell us that they really were starting to turn away from terrorism regardless. Our current research and disengagement involves three distinct but interrelated elements. First of all, we've conducted a major literature review on disengagement from a variety of violent and nonviolent settings across multiple disciplines, so psychology, sociology, criminology, etc. Secondly, we've looked at self-reported accounts of disengagement from 87 English-language terrorist autobiographies. And third and finally, we're conducting interviews with former participants in terrorism and violent extremist groups about their experiences of disengagement. We've conducted only 11 interviews so far, with 19 more to go for this study. The research is ongoing, but we are starting to push out some preliminary findings. Okay, so let's begin with the basics. Um, when, we, when, when I talk about disengagement, I'm defining it very simply as the process of ceasing terrorist activity. That's all it is. It doesn't always require a change in ideology or beliefs, but it does require an end to terrorist behavior. Disengagement is distinct from the process of de-radicalization, although they are sometimes related. Individuals may disengage from terrorism without necessarily de-radicalizing and abandoning their ideology. But the opposite is also true. Individuals may de-radicalize but not necessarily disengage. They actually may remain in the movement um, despite their disillusionment, often because they feel they have no way out. Our major review of the literature suggests that there is no single reasons why individuals choose to walk away from terrorism. We actually draw very, very heavily on the model of voluntary role exit, which was proposed by Helen Ebal, in which she actually laid out four steps to disengagement from a role. Now, we've actually added a fifth stage here, which we believe to be important in terms of understanding the barriers to re-engagement. And we're going to post a brief on our website to outline all of this, but, but for now, let me just summarize all of this in a nutshell. The literature suggests that there are a number of factors that make individuals more likely to want to disengage. We can think of these very crudely as push and pull factors. Push factors are associated with the challenges of engagement and commitment to a terrorist group. In other words, the reality of life in one of these groups. And push factors generally tend to include things like disillusionment with key personnel, disillusionment with the strategy or the actions of the terrorist group, a loss of faith in ideology, difficulty adapting to the terrorist lifestyle, uh, which related to that, the inability to cope with the psychological and physiological demands of carrying out attacks, which can sometimes lead to, uh, to burnout. Disillusionment can also, however, stem from uh, boredom, from just the day-to-day minutiae of, of, of engaging in activity. Pull factors, on the other hand, are the lures that draw people towards a different kind of life, a different kind of engagement. Common pull factors include things like uh, positive interactions with those who hold moderate or different kinds of views. But very often, pull factors tend to be far more mundane, so longing for the freedoms of a conventional life, uh, employment, education, a desire to marry, establish a family, uh, financial incentives, and so on. 
Preliminary analysis of the autobiography suggests that individuals involved in terrorism are more likely to report push factors as playing a large role in their decision to exit as opposed to pull factors. And the main push factors that are cited include disillusionment with the strategy or actions in 37% of cases, 31% report disillusionment with leaders, and 27% report disillusionment with other group members. Burnout and disillusionment with day-to-day -day tasks are also very commonly reported. Also, and this is again just from the autobiographies, the two pull factors most commonly reported were the desire to dedicate more time to one's family and the desire to pursue employment or education outside of the terrorist group. Consistent with the theoretical models we've described, um, our reading of the autobiography strongly suggests that there also may be individuals involved in terrorism who are deeply, deeply disillusioned, but they either cannot or will not leave because of the psychological material, material or emotional investments that they've made to the group. Our interviews, on the other hand, suggest that one's role within the terrorist group may play an important part in explaining his or her likelihood of leaving. Would you like to know more about this or other CTSS projects? If so, please visit our website at www.uml.edu. We look forward to bringing you a lot more podcasts in the very near future.